Welcome to Season 2 of Talk Tuesday on the Yoga Safety Podcast, where we're blessed and honored to host yogis and hear their stories of what yoga means to them. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. I'm so excited today because we are celebrating the yoga anniversary of the Mara West. You know, this is my yoga anniversary, you know, just a little over a year since I got my training. And Tomorrow, tomorrow West is somebody that I have just fallen in love with, have a super girl crush on. So yay, welcome to the podcast, and it's all about you today. Oh, wonderful. I am just elated to be here with you. Yoga is such a sacred practice for me. Um, it's been a part of my life since I was probably 18 is when I went to my very first yoga class. And uh, it's something that I continue to come back to, but since I've been trained, it's become, of course, one of my most central practices. So I'm really, really, really looking forward to this conversation. And thank you for all the kind things that you said about me. Oh, you're welcome. And you know what? I'm so happy for you that you discovered your yoga at 18. That's yeah. Oh my gosh. I am, I feel really, really blessed. And I talk about this in my book, uh, Me Too, A Therapist's Journey to Heal, Find Liberation and Joy, that, you know, wellness was a coming home for me. And I know that that's the case for all of us, right? We're talking about indigenous healing practices that are ours for the taking to help us to be well and to be a reservoir for abundance. And, you know, I grew up in a household where my mother was a part of the holistic health movement long before it became popular. So, you know, I describe in my book, this huge yellow juicer that we owned and she never fried anything, um, always prepared a hot meal for us. We never had anything sweet in our household. And so although these practices as a child were, were not something that I took on, by the time that I was 18, I found myself gravitating to uh, holistic remedies long before I really knew the power of them, if you will. Um, but it was my mom who planted the very first seed. And I was going to say before you even knew what it was, wait a minute, a mixer in your home. You know, I it, it, I love that you say that because when I look back and think my grand, my mother's mother was very much that way. My mother, not so much, but I learned from my grandmother. My mother did what she could. But as far as like castor oil, um, no, cod liver oil, excuse me, um, the garlic water, the juicer. My, my grandmother had a Vitamix, but when I'm thinking, what happened to that Vitamix? I can't afford one. Mm, yes, yes. They're very, they're, they're quite the investment. <laughs> they are the investment. Now, did you have any specific recipes or for like tinctures or anything that you were, that you still use that your mother used? I can't say from those original recipes, but I have turned to fresh pressed juicing um, over the past couple of years. In fact, I did a pretty comprehensive juice cleanse at the top of March. And that's when I started to do fresh pressed juicing. It wasn't the first time that I had done smoothies and things of that nature. Um, and there was a time right before I got married many, many years ago. I'm actually divorced now 
but many, many years ago where my mother actually helped me to get on a, a plan, um, a vitality plan ultimately so that I could be more fit um, and, you know, pretty healthy before my wedding. And I lost a good 20 pounds in a matter of three weeks based on the regimen that she had me on. So I know that that, that doesn't exactly answer your question, but what it speaks to is her knowledge base, if you will. And the fact that I still go to her for a myriad of things, even though she's not formally trained um, in the way that we think of like a homeopathic doctor, let's say, I can go to her for just about any kind of uh, ailment that I'm experiencing. And she's going to know the supplement. She's going to know what, it, how ultimately to address that thing. Um, and I tell her often, like the world is really waiting on her and her expertise. Um, but unfortunately, it's been the family that have been able to benefit the most from what she knows. And there's a lot that she knows and can contribute to our holistic health. So she, as you, as I can imagine, and as you, you said, she was definitely an influence and you grew up in this fantastic environment oh, and you help people. You seem like you've dedicated your, your, you've taken what you've experienced to dedicate your life to other people. Do you want to talk about that and how that relates to yoga? Because that yoga is just one of the many things in your toolkit that you share with people. Yeah, and I'm I'm really grateful that I have had a myriad of training opportunities um, from becoming a Reiki master to trained in meditation and emotional freedom techniques and tapping and really understanding the power of more of a plant-based diet and using food to fuel the body. Um, and breath work and, you know, forest bathing. And those are some of the very practices that I make available through my community, Be Well Beautiful Woman. It's a global wellness company that is very much focused on utilizing indigenous healing practices that we can utilize, we can use on our own terms, if you will, to heal the body. And so when I think about accessibility, I think about it from a financial standpoint, but also the dosage by which a practice is available and the accessibility by which we can enter into a practice. Um, I'm hosting a, a summit. It's my ninth one since the top of COVID called the Global Abundance Summit at the end of January. And it's a free offering that has 16 speakers ac across the globe that are abundant thought leaders. And, you know, what was really striking for me, there were many things, but one of the things that was striking for me is that Sister Anyango, who I interviewed, talked about how she brought dance um, to communities that otherwise wouldn't be able to access it and may not even be interested in this, this concept of dance, right? Many of us are afraid of dancing, even though we know dancing is a very spiritual practice. It's a yoga, pro yoga practice, if you will, and it's used in tons of communities to really help the body to heal, to help us to be connected with source, universe, God, creator. And, you know, she said that just the shift in, in dancing to talk about movement, right? And even that shift alone had major implications, right? That's about accessibility, right? Just changing how we frame certain things. So whether that be under the auspice of Be Well Beautiful Woman, where it's about providing accessible practices that center on women, so from abundance mindset to doing day and overnight retreats to a virtual online community called Be My Sister's Keeper to one-on-one -on -one coaching that's really centered around curating abundance, 
curating the goals that feel most right for us and having someone to hold us accountable towards that. And then I'm formally trained as a therapist. So I became a therapist uh, roughly about 14 years ago. And that was my first traditional um, contact with this whole concept of, of being well, if you will. Now, of course, even though my mother planted those first seeds, this concept of wellness, this concept of well-being, and using these practices to really heal myself first, and then, and, and which is a lifelong process, and then, of course, to support the community that I'm, you know, fortunate to support under, you know, with Be Well, Beautiful Woman and other kinds of ways that I'm being called to support people. Because even though there was a lot of magic growing up in, in my home, there was also a lot of trauma. And these practices that I help to impart are the very practices that I turn to first that have been life-changing for me, not just to help me ground back into myself and reclaim my power and to be a part of this lifelong uh, work of healing, but to also really open myself up to having day-to-day -day joy and peace and pleasure the way that we, you know, we're ultimately designed to, um, but, you know, trauma, among other things. Uh, ultimately strips us from that. So these practices are ones that I've utilized to bring myself back home to myself. Yeah, and you know, that's one thing I admire you about you. We talk openly about um, surviving sexual trauma and, and other childhood traumas. And I'm also um, a trauma survivor. And do you feel, and I know that um, didn't know at the time, maybe it was intuitive, um, that um, yoga nidra and yin yoga and restorative and meditation are just so good, and as well as the more physical forms of the asana practice of yoga are just so good in helping with the anger and the shame and the PTS, you know, I'm not even gonna say the D because it's not a disorder, it's a, it's a reaction to, it's a natural reaction to what we experience. I mean, in my, I mean, it's it's not a disorder to have to the way we process trauma does not mean we have a disorder. It means we're processing trauma. So, what what was the after your what was a breakthrough for you? Because I'm trying to think, what was a breakthrough for me when I realized yoga? Because I first went to yoga because I had physical trauma after an injury. But that was also related to avoiding a sexual trauma. Like I went out a four-story window to not mm. be raped for the third time in my life, right? So I had to get that physical. But it was during all that that I realized all that time you have, you're have, you carrying all this trauma inside of you. How did you have that breakthrough? Did you have it in the therapist session? And that's what you're helping people do when you're a therapist? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that question. And, and I want to say, uh, reflect a couple things back before I answer it. You know, the first thing is, is that I love that you talked about the fact that this isn't really a disorder, right? I mean, and certainly a disorder from a standpoint of understanding how trauma shows up for people and what are the remnants, right? What are, what are indicators, uh, benchmarks, if you will, of what a Trump traumatic a person that has endured trauma, what do they experience? And particularly, you know, trauma in general is, is very hard on the mind, the body, the spirit, right? And, um, but when you're talking about complex trauma, right, it becomes that much heavier. When you're talking about childhood trauma, you're talking about even something that's more complicated in nature because childhood trauma doesn't affect 
trauma that we endure as children is not this doesn't show up the same um, as we're affected by it as a, as adults, even though there is some overlap, right? And so what you said, though, I think is really important because so oftentimes what happens with diagnoses is that the diagnoses becomes the reason that keeps us stuck, right? We are this way because of this, and it is what it is. And what I really want to say to people, and again, for me first, um, is that nothing is just what it is, right? Um, And we can always change something, and we have to be careful about the identities in which we subscribe to, the meaning we derive from those identities, and how those identities that we hold so succinctly to who we are shape us, right? So understanding that we are a complex survivor, uh, you know, we're a complex trauma survivor is not the same thing as necessarily having and carrying around a banner of depression or carrying around a banner of, and, and I say these things very lightly because I don't want to minimize what it means to walk around with trauma and how it manifests in forms of d- depression or obesity or other kinds of blockages that we experience. But you know, the reason why we're being invited, right, to step into holistic practices is because, you know, there's a reality that we are born well. Now, trauma can strip us of that. Poverty can strip us of that. There's a hardship can strip us of that. And even just being in a black body or being in a female body or being in a trans body because of ideas that we have about what it means to be those things. And, you know, ultimately at times, even the rejection fully of those particular identities, depending who it is that you're talking to or what circles that we're talking about. Um, But even in the midst of that, what holistic practices uh, help to invite us into is a state of well-being, is a state of knowing that wellness is ultimately our birthright and that we can connect to the fullness of what it means to be well, to live well in every single area of our lives, including having really beautiful relationships and purpose-filled lives and enjoying life and saying yes to life um, and having the courage to be exactly who we are, right? But oftentimes to even get back to this space of discovering, we have to slow down enough to come back into ourselves because there has been some level of a disassociation when it comes to trauma and particularly sexual trauma, right? And so I I really, so so then this question around like, how did I know, like, how did I come to this? You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, when I became a therapist, Adrian, I know that I became a therapist um, unequivocally because of the trauma from my past. I Mm -hmm. knew that I wanted to help children and families because I was that child that needed support. And I came from that family that had a lot of dysfunction in it. And myself and my siblings suffered, right, as a result of it. My mother also suffered as a result of abuse that we, you know, ultimately endured because of the situations that she um, found herself in, right? And I, I think that even though I knew that, I really believed that that was my path. That's why I named my book, Me Too, um, A Therapist's Journey to Heal, Find Liberation and Joy, because it wasn't until long after I became a therapist 
that I realized that I had to face this trauma that I endured. And I think that one of the fallacies is that, you know, if we have removed ourselves from this experience, if we become an Adele, if we become educated, a, a wife, a mother, an entrepreneur, whatever those labels are that we ascribe to, that is really rooted in the externalization of our development. Um, and we haven't faced the internal pain that our childhood precipitated for us, then we have work to do, right? Because anything that we don't face, we can't actually heal. Anything we don't face, we can't understand the ways in which it is in control of how we show up in the world, of our actions, of how we see ourselves and what's possible for ourselves and how we essentially connect to other humans, right? Because, you know, one of our, um, one of the indicators of living a great life has to do with our ability to build healthy connections with people, right? But trauma oftentimes debilitates us. We, we it's, it's like the equivalent of stopping our development. And it really does. It's, you know, and I'm sure that all of us can relate to talking to somebody who's maybe 60. And we, you know, assume what it's going to be like to talk to somebody who's 60. And really, we're talking to somebody who is much like a 16 year old, right? Because their development was halted at that point in time in their lives. And so, what we have, the last thing I'll say before I turn it back over to you is, is that, you know, I think that we believe that as long as we can't, you know, our worthiness is rooted in our ability to achieve. And this is the, this is really much of the time a trauma response as well, right? So the more that we acquire, the the more education we have, the, you know, if we buy the right house, if we do the right thing, we believe that, you know, our worthiness is going to permeate from that, but our worthiness only comes from within. And we're a lot of times we're chasing our worthiness in part because we haven't done that internal work to really identify with what it is that's blocking us. And I believe that anything that we don't have in our lives that we desperately want, whether that be a lifelong partner or great friendships or purpose or the money that we want, a lot of times it's rooted in the traumas in which we've endured as children. Um, and, and sometimes of course, you know, naturally into adulthood as well, because any form of trauma is going to affect us adversely, uh, particularly if we can't begin the healing process immediately, which is why that's one of the things that I talk about in my book and that the book, this book is really for survivors, but it's also for people who have the, the distinct privilege of supporting survivors and healing, because when we don't heal, um, that trauma gets stored on a cellular level in the body. When when we talk about, you know, uh, the body keeps the score, talks about this very, very well, in that when we don't heal, we ultimately just store everything that we haven't worked through, which is why when we get on a, you know, sometimes when we're doing yoga or we're getting a massage or we're doing energy work, all of a sudden we get moved to this, strong emotional state. Well, what's happening is, is that energy is beginning to circulate through the body, right? That blocked energy, that really holistic practices are the thing that's going to help us to truly come home back into cell and not minimizing therapy. Therapy can be very powerful, but therapy has limitations, um, particularly when it comes to trauma survivors. Mm, now, I, okay. 
That was a lie. That was a lie, Adrian. I know. No, because I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, just recently, well, I don't know, the last quarter of um, 2023, read um, Body Keeps to Score. And I don't want to say it was frightening, but I thought, oh my gosh, how much do I still have inside? I mean, the normal, everybody's life is normal. I guess I just mean, um, if we're not taught the tools, just like I said, I'm so glad for you at 18, you discovered yoga. So that means you were, you were doing meditation, you were doing movement, you were doing gratitude, you were doing rest, you were taking time for yourself. You know, if we don't have, if we don't have those tools and so then it gets, it gets compounded over the years. Oh, and then if you don't know how to do self-compassion, you know, then you're telling yourself these stories and then if you're with people and you believe their noise. So, that totally explains why sometimes I had just flooded out my yoga mat. You know, it's like, where did this come from? And all of a sudden, just tears. It is so much relief. It's so much relief. I love tears. I feel yeah. sorry for myself. I give myself what I'm like, don't hold it in, let it up, you know? Mm. Ooh, that's so well, and so often there, there are people that I come across, right, who haven't cried in years, right? And I would say that if people are listening to this and they can relate to it, like if you haven't been able to express emotions, if you're muted in some way, then that's where you know, that's how you know that healing is needed. If you don't speak up in times when you really feel led to, that's how we know healing is needed. If we're having issues in terms of interpersonal relationships, that's how we know that healing is needed. And, you know, Adrian, I love what you said. It's like, oh my God, what else? And I think that's like really normal for us to think that. But the reality is, is that we don't have to worry about what additional healing needs to enter into our stream of consciousness. All we have to do is to show up. All we have to do is get in our yoga mat. All we have to do is journal. All we have to do is read. All we have to do is be led and be pouring into our bucket in some shape or form on a regular basis and know that every time we show up and we do that, healing is taking place. Even this conversation that we're having right now, Adrian, this is healing. Right. Healing is actually happening right now as we speak in real time, because there is no limit to how God, universe, source, creator is going to come to us to help us to align with the highest versions of ourselves. And we can't do that unless healing is taking root. So, you know, I believe that whatever we're seeking is seeking us. That's universal principle. So if we want to be well and if we are in pursuit of that, we're going to find all kinds of things in our pathway to get us there. And all we have to do is simply say yes and show up and let God, universe, source, creator do the do the rest. And that's where the magic really lies for us. But a lot of us are afraid. It's like, when is this crying ever going to stop? When am I ever going to stop healing? The reality is, is that healing doesn't actually ever stop. Liberation doesn't actually ever stop. The best that we can do is show up and to practice and to allow everything else to fall into place exactly the way that it's supposed to. Okay, again, so much. Dang it, I should have already taken notes. I need to ask, find out what insurance you take, because I feel like I'm having a therapy session. So I hope you accept my insurance. <laughs> right. I love that. Yes, yeah. you know, once once a therapist, always a therapist. And um, 
Right now, I'm actually not paneled for any insurances. So when I'm, you know, seeing a client, a clinical client there, they pay out of pocket. And I'm very flexible in terms of what that looks like. Although I recognize that that can still be a pretty heavy investment for folks. Um, and so, you know, if you really feel led, of course, let's have a conversation about it and, and see, you know, what magic you and I can curate together. Absolutely. And something else that you said, healing is an ongoing process. It's, a, it's not a destination, right? It's how we carry it with us on our journey, I believe, because what I was called to do finally was, again, another reason I just admire you, you knew early on what you wanted to do based on your experiences growing up, which is fantastic. A lot of people get to discover their calling early. I was not one of those people necessarily definitely was able to use my talents in different ways, but I found out after my father died in 2021 that I was called to do grief. Uh, I call them grief with grace yoga workings, that that's what I'm called to do because the process that I went through with um, coming to a place where I could manage my grief. I mean, I was pull literally pulling my hair out. My blood pressure still can be better had this horrible rash in my arm. I had to see two different doctors. Um, sleep issues, the whole, th you know, I was like, take, uh, what is it, Facebook, everything, you know, extreme reaction to grief or stress manifested in such a way that yoga literally saved my life, which is why I call my mm. podcast, saved my life twice. The first time I went out that full story window. And then, um, this time, when I went out, let's say like an emotional window or something, I don't know. Um, so I want to share that with people who are experiencing something similar. Because I know grief is individual. Nobody grieves the same, like a snowflake or a fingerprint. But to offer a toolkit of these tools, everything you talked about, journaling, meditation, uh, you know, the yin yoga I mentioned, restorative yoga, yoga nidra, the gentle yoga. You know, the just sitting with yourself, coming as you are. The favorite, you know, one thing I love oh, about, and I want to hear about if you have online offerings. One of the pandemic blessings that I had and still benefit from, well, a couple, but one that's relevant to this conversation is online yoga. I had only done yoga in person in a group previously. And so, with this, with the, when everything went online with COVID, it was like great. I was all I had already transitioned to one of these people who worked from home back in oh gosh, two thousand early two thousands or something. So I was set up for the pandemic that way. But the mental health part, you no, know, just like everybody else, we got caught off guard I got caught off guard. So having those online yoga classes were fantastic. And then when my father died being able to show up to those classes off camera in my pajamas and then have those crying sessions when they hit me was just wonderful mm. you know yeah so yeah I feel myself, yeah getting a little breathless even thinking about it because to me that's so because it goes back to something you said earlier about accessibility yeah like, Everybody doesn't have internet, maybe, but most do. And maybe now you can find some way to get access to it. Um, but being able to do it where you are, when you need it, on demand, or join the class, have a community. You don't care if you want or not. 
when you're grieving, when you're trauma, I was trained in trauma-informed yoga. You obviously as well. That option to me is liberating. And what options do you have? What do you offer online? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I really appreciate this question because it, again, speaks to accessibility and meeting people exactly where they are, right? And so we have had uh, varied options online since the top of the pandemic from the Global Abundance Summit that I'm hosting at the end of January. That's a free offering that features 16 speakers, as I talked about earlier. And, you know, when you talk about how yoga saved your life, one of the speakers um, talked about how meditation saved her life and actually helped her cure her Lyme disease, which she's been cured from for the past 10 years. And, you know, what is striking to me about practices is that whether we're talking about yoga or meditation or breath work or forest bathing, a lot of these practices have very similar impacts, right? Because it's not the practice itself more so. It is the practice itself, but because the pra these practices are woven in the framework of movement and breath, movement and breath and presence. And so anytime we're doing any of those things, we are going to have significant benefits. Now we recognize when you're talking about certain yoga movement, or we're talking about certain breath um, kind of work, the outcomes are not going to always be exactly the same, but we're talking general, what amazes me is these outcomes are very much the same. And so um, I just, I love this emphasis on the fact that these practices do have the ability to save us um, in literal ways, uh, but also to help us to have that reservoir that we need to live well right now and not wait for the afterlife to do that. And so back to this question around like online um, classes, definitely. Um, from yoga to breath work to even having a celebration of Black women in philanthropy, um, I can. I am a philanthropist, and I have given back to my communities both monetary and with my human resources for many, many years. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the online offerings and how we center wellness and liberation is very much related to uh, the times. What I feel most inspired by in real time. And then, of course, my formal training. And like you said, I'm trained in trauma-informed yoga. And I also became certified um, in as a, as a uh, yoga teacher. So I got that certification in 2020, I believe. And then I got my trauma-informed yoga certification in 2019. Um, and it was the trauma yoga informed that inspired me to become uh, a yoga teacher. And these are, as I said before, the same practices that I utilize in my work um, for my retreats and online and whatnot. And then the other thing I just want to say to you, sis, is that, you know, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a pediatrician. And so, you know, I, I didn't go down that pathway. There was a lot of things that happened that I talk about in my book related to trauma and the aftermath of that. And I'll say that, you know, even though it's like, you know, for certain that as a result of this experience with your father, and I'm so sorry about, you know, losing him, you know, the magnitude of, of that kind of loss can be just can feel unbearable, right, depending on what that relationship was like. And the fact that you were able to find purpose in that is such a gift. And what I want to say to your audience is that um, 
it's been the same way that I have found my purpose time and time again. I like to say that I'm every woman because my purpose has changed a lot. It's always been under the auspice of helping individuals, helping institutions become the highest version of themselves. And that has come about through therapy and through the wellness modalities that we've talked about, but also through my consulting practice that I've had for the last 16 years, strategy work, strategic planning and fund development and diversity, equity and inclusion and anti-racism. And then I've had a lot of specialty areas in between. And so what I have really done to help me discover what my purpose is at any given time and how I'm being called to serve is to just pay attention, right? And those moments of heartbreak can help us to pay attention, like you talked about, Adrian. But they can also be just a shifting, right? I'm, I'm actually experiencing that right now as we speak, where, you know, I'm going to be giving up a lot of my... Um, formal strategy and business development work and things of that nature and moving much more into a wellness framework exclusively um, because that's where my heart is calling me the most. Now, I knew that wellness was central to me five years ago when I sat down with some consultants I was working with around Be Well Beautiful Woman and I shifted some things at that time and did some rebranding, but I kept my consulting business intact, right? And I've done those things you know, distinctly um, together over you know for for many years but now i'm at a point where you know based on the launch of my book and other things that are really coming to the surface for me where i exclusively want to be in the space of wellness now leadership development certainly falls in that racial healing certainly falls in that and then all of the other work that i do around wellness including corporate wellness kinds of strategies certainly fall into that too so i just want to invite people to, to be in pursuit right and to pay attention to the signs and the wonders that are showing up for them um, and to give themselves permission also to ebb and flow right because life is full of discoveries about the way that we're being called to serve. And um, all we have to do through our practice is to pay attention to how God, universe, source, creator is speaking to us and um, is, you know, showing up in our physical space, if you will, to help us to get there. Well, I don't know if they tell you this in elementary school where I first heard it, but showing up is the key, right? You have to show up. And what I'm learning is that you have to show up for yourself first. And I think, don't you notice with women and maybe in particular black women, I don't know, we show up for everybody else and we'll be the last person that we'll show up for. We'll stand well, up for everybody else and we'll be the last person that we, until we learn to do better, at least I should say. I'm no longer that woman, I should say. And it's shocking to some people when you stand up for yourself. But it's never mm. been like a experience where tons of people were rolling over me. You know, it's that one or two kind of relationships that you get into and you get into these patterns and then you realize, hey, wait a minute, like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not good for me. I've been doing it before, but now I know better or feel stronger. And that is showing up for, for me. And that's that's been a journey for me. Because you show up for your friends, you show up for your family, at least for me. Right? Yeah, well, and Adrian, you're right. I think that just being a woman and the way that we're socialized to care for other people, and I think we have um, this the natural ways that we're wired uh, that, you know, I think that men, women, non-binary folks all have a level of emotional intelligence. But research shows that 
the, the emotional intelligence that women have is different from what men have. And their, their emotional intelligence ultimately helps them to be more successful in the spaces they're in. Ours helps us to be more successful when it comes to supporting other human beings, right? And so when we think about that, even if we're to not talking about trauma, trauma aside, we are being called to liberate into the truth of who we are, how we want to show up in the world. What does it mean for us to be woman? to be mother, to be daughter, to be auntie, to be whatever role is that we're playing. And you're right that as we discover that for ourselves and as we set boundaries around that vision, that's going to be rubbing up against other people's expectations of, of who they think we are and who they think that we should be. But what I believe is that that's the only sure way that we can love and honor ourselves and help other people to love and honor ourselves. So that work of liberation is is not just about someone who has been traumatized. It's also about the way that we've been conditioned to take on ideas about what it means to be girl, which becomes woman, and how that shows up in service to everyone else, which is the equivalent of literally setting ourselves on fire, literally. And so the only way that we can break free from that is by defining for ourselves, right? And I love that you have described that the work that you've done to do that and how it's ruffled some feathers along the way it of course it is because as we're leading as we're the leaders as we become the leaders of our own lives that means <laughs> that we are going to offend some people along the way and and that's okay i think that we have to love ourselves enough to say that's okay you know and it's kind of turned out to be like a guy post for me to let me know well i'm on the right track Okay, I hate that guidepost because if that person has gotten so comfortable with me always saying yes, and when I say no, they're like, what? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going the right way, <laughs> right? You know, in the right direction. How does Be Well, Beautiful Woman help women balance all of these things, heal from our trauma, continuously improve uh, our versions of ourselves so we can tune into ourselves and hear our inner voices better while we care for others and run our businesses or show up at our jobs and support our colleagues and lead in our communities. And, you know, I can go on if I just look at the things that you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I... support and nurture and teach us how to do all that better. Yeah, yeah, that's such a big question. And I would say the most important thing is to remember our power. Oftentimes we move through life as if we don't have any power, as if other people are in control. And we always have power, always. And if we can get into that space, and understanding that everything in our lives, we have participated in co-creating, even the choice to not heal from trauma. We didn't ask for trauma to come into our lives, but if we want to be well, we have to make the choice to heal, right? Um, and if we don't make the choice to heal, that's okay. But then we just have to understand what comes along with that choice and what comes along with every choice that we make in life. And when we when we can step into that and say, okay, from this power place, who do I want to be? 
if I'm really stepping in fully to my power, who do I want to be across every single domain of my life? Who do I want to be from a spiritual standpoint, from a physical standpoint, from a relational, from a purpose, from a financial? Who do I want to be and what do I want to receive from this place of power? And then from there, deciding what choices do you need to make in order to carry those things through? Because visioning is very powerful, but if our actions don't align with the very things that we say that we want, we are going to be hard pressed to get it. Or if we do get it, it's going to be like, it's going to be an uphill battle. It's like Mm -hmm. the difference between one of the speakers on my summit that said, you know, when we're talking about flow, think about a stream. When you're going, when you see a stream and it's going in that flow direction, it's just moving. There's no effort being made. But when we're having to rigor our way through something, it can cost us an absorbent amount of energy to get there, right? Now, you know, if we get there, we get there. But I would much rather get there in a, in a space of flow and ease than through trudging my way through something, right? Um, and so from that place, that means that we may have to give up some things. We may have to give up some commitments. We may have to give up some relationships. We mm-hmm. may have to give up a job. We may Because in order for us to gain the life that we want from this power play move, it means that we have to give up the things that we said yes to when we didn't realize that we had any power to begin with. Have you found that it's easier or harder to give up things the older you get? Oh my gosh, it's it's very difficult. I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, today, I blogged about the fact that I am. Um, <clears throat> my blog was about stillness, uh, you know, being slowing down and pausing, and the power of that, right, to our expansion. Mm-hmm. And I went on to talk about the fact that you know I'm not dating at all right. I know for certain what I realized I had this pattern since I left my ex-husband six years. I was married for um, 17 years before I got a divorce and um, was married to a really amazing human. I talk about that relationship in uh, detail in my book and the unfortunate and fortunate events that really brought me back to myself and the state that I needed to heal, which meant that, which meant also leaving this relationship that I had grown out of in astronomical ways since we had first come together. And, you know, I, so in this space of like being in this world of dating and then realizing, oh my gosh, I'm attracting people who aren't actually available pausing enough, slowing down enough to understand, oh, I'm not, I'm attracting these kind of people because I'm actually not emotionally available. And I have a lot of work to do when it comes to relationships in order to open myself up to hopefully what will be my next life partner, right? And so I don't know how long I won't be dating, but what I do believe will happen is what happens for what a lot of people report is that they stop dating and all of a sudden the person that they want they manifest this person, right? Because they've done enough work within themselves to cultivate self-love and to move from this place of just attracting what it is that they want versus going out and seeking what it is that we want and knowing that we may not actually be ready to get that. Now, I said all that to say, Adrian, that if I simply just put on my vision board and said, wrote down the 40 things that I wanted a partner and I had this vision, but I continued to move in ways that didn't align with that, 
then I'm only going to produce the things that don't get me to what I want, right? So we have to be willing to do the hard work internally um, to externally manifest the very thing that we are worthy of, right? And um, and in the midst of that, and that work's not easy. I mean, in the midst of that, it also meant that this a relationship, an on-again, off-again relationship that I also talk about in detail in my book that, you know, moving from a very loving relationship with my husband to a toxic relationship with you will with this person. Um, it also meant that I had to cut that relationship off totally. Now the heart wants what it wants, you know, and everything in me wants this person actually to be in my life, even though I know that they're not good for me, even though I know they don't align with my vision. So there are times when it takes a lot of energy for me to allow my emotions, right, to just go through and do what they do in relationship to this relationship. So I don't, I'm, I'm bringing this up to be really transparent about, you know, my own struggles and the fact that there isn't any arrival. There's always something that we're going to be working to cultivate in our lives to live as well as we want to. But what I'm also illuminating is that we have to have vision along with action to produce the very things that we want. That is a part of the co-creation process. Again, I should have been taking notes. That's okay. Listen, you got this recorded, my sister. You can go back to this as many times as you choose to. That's what I give this a podcast because, um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Okay, I was thinking, okay, yeah. The giving things up part is harder as you get older. That's been my experience too. And I've also found that the things that I want to hold on to the hardest are the first things that should be on the top of the list to go. Right, it seems that that's ironic that way. Um, and like you say, the heart was what it what it wants. How do we know, or do we just have to trust us through the process? Because if we know or can acknowledge um, intellectually that the heart wants what it wants, then give me some examples of some other signs that we're ignoring that's showing us that yeah, the heart may want this, but the, the spirit doesn't can it just well, be in my experience I'm thinking you know when people ignore that that knot in your stomach you may get when you see that person even though you love that person it's a knot that it's like maybe something just isn't or I mean we're self-wired with all of these signals and messages that we just ignore sometimes too often until yeah too yeah and particularly if we have come from childhood trauma, right? Because we didn't have the security that we needed to be cared for properly. And so you think about it, the first relationships we have are with our caregivers. And if those relationships are poor, right? Of course, we're going to have struggles until we heal and learn about what's blocking us. So what, what the heart wants, and, and this just came to me, Adrian, the heart wants the feeling associated with the good things of that person. And we don't need to discard that, right? We don't need to discard like the good parts of this relationship and how this relationship served us and which in part precipitated the love that we have for them, right? We don't need to be extreme in that way. But what, what we don't want, and this is how we can know, if there is a rejection of self, if this person is like rejecting like the core of who we are, that's a sign. If there is conflict, 
like that happens and it's the same kind of conflict over and over and over again, that's a sign. If you break up with this person and you get back together and you have a honeymoon period that is, you know, last for a week to three weeks, whatever that is, and you go right back to whatever the pattern was that caused you to, you know, break it off in the first place, that's a sign, right? So I think that we, you know, we, we see what we want to see because the heart wants what it wants and what the heart wants is for this relationship to work out. But in the midst of the, the heart wanting this relationship to work out, we are discarding all of the evidence that this relationship is not going to work out. And maybe not forever, right? I, I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer under the premise that once things end, that's it. I don't know, right? That's what, that's for God to know. But what I know and what I can control is saying, this is it for me right now, because this is not where it's at for me. You do not match. And I would say like taking inventory, stepping away from the relationship and being willing to take stock of everything that you want in a relationship and matching that person and their characteristics to the very things that you want. And that will also tell you this person is not aligned for you, right? So there's lots of ways that through the slowing down process, through really looking at the relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that your heart will not break in the midst of removing yourself from that relationship or reorganizing what the boundaries need to be in that relationship for you to be okay in the midst of the relationship. You have to know, is it time for you to get up from the table fully? Because there's simply not enough love here to pour into you in the way that you want? Or uh, do, do adjustments need to be made? And can that person rise to the adjustments? Can they rise to the boundaries in which that you set, right? So we can choose the suffering to stay in that just the way that it is. Uh, or we can choose the suffering that is associated with the adjustments that are required to get what we want so that we can then endure that suffering long enough to enter into a state of joy. And we can't have that if we continue to choose the cycle of this relationship that is causing us so much harm. And, okay. Ooh, so we know that pain is, an inev is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. Mm. Right? But it's something that you said, okay, so if you recognize your suffering, but then when you say you can choose the suffering to, to get out of it, that's suffering, but it's a different kind of suffering to me because it's not really suffering anymore. Because to me, it's that switch that you no longer look at it as suffering and you look at it and say, okay, this is me on my way. It's almost like taking a 20, I've never done it, 23 hour flight to, well, I did fly, where did I fly from London to Bali? What was that, 24 hours or something? That was painful, but when we got there, we knew where we were going, why we did it, what the cost was going to be, what was going to happen if we didn't make that decision, right? I look at it that way, but I love that you say the suffering, because, right, it is going to hurt, but when you change that mindset that it's really not suffering, what do we do? High heels at pinch, um, suffering, right? But we don't call it suffering, we call it looking cute. Come on now. Well, and you know what? You just hit on something really, really powerful, Adrian. And that, it, you know, the four agreements talked about the suffering on top of the suffering, right? And what's different about the suffering that is associated with leaving a relationship is it's actually grief. 
suffering being stuck, thinking that we're stuck in something and choosing to be in that and suffering in the midst of that versus choosing to leave something which allows the grief process to ensue so that we can go through that grief process to heal so that then our hearts can be mended enough so that we can receive the love that we are so, so, so worthy of. So worthy of. Yes. But we can't get there. We can't get there if we choose the suffering of a bad relationship. And when I say bad, I'm not saying the person is bad. I'm saying that, let me say, out of a line relationship, an out of a line relationship. Relationships that are not in alignment are always going to cause us suffering. So we have to decide what are the things that we're willing to be not aligned on and what are the things that are deal breakers for us when it comes to alignment that are way too important to our well-being to allow that to go by the wayside. You know, and I love that, you know, when Dr. Maya Angelou said that when people when people do something, believe them the first time, right? And these were not her words, word for word, right? You know, but what she was saying. Yeah, I'm sorry, because I love you. Thank you. No, 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 I love that. Yes, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. What, what What mama was telling us was this, that if somebody does something to us the first time and we, and we tell ourselves that it's not that, or we lie to ourselves about what, or we let it go, and then they do it again, guess what? Now you're participating in your own suffering. But if somebody does something to us and we set up a boundary and we give a person an opportunity to rise to that boundary, then we are literally in control over that. But if we tell ourselves a different story, if we misconstrue the facts, if we see a person in a light that we want to see them in, but it's not accurate, then who is actually doing the lying here? Who's actually creating the suffering here? We are. Now, they are also doing harm to us, and their karma is going to come about as a result of it. But our karma is going to come to us, too, as a result of the choice that we make, because every single choice that we have has a ricochet effect. And it's either getting us closer to the vision that we have for our lives, or it's moving us further away from it, or it's just keeping us stuck. We get to decide all of it. You know, and that reminder you just made, like every decision we made. What did you say? I know it's the karma effect. I just got shivers because I just thought about a couple things that, you know, probably could have done differently. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, uh, it's that old. Every culture has a reap what you sow. What? If you give what you get. No, what is it? Reap what you sow. You just said the karma um, comes back around. I forget. But, you know, just to say, gosh, and I'm not even sure you know who Meghan Markle and Chris Harry are, but because I live in Europe, I do. And for anyone who may not, Meghan Markle is, a, is an American actress. Her mother is African-American and her father's uh, white American. What do we even say anymore? Caucasian, but white, but American. And she married the uh, um, son. Prince Harry. Son. Prince Harry. Oh, I was gonna say that I was gonna say the Queen Elizabeth. Queen. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was to King Charles. I can't even say it, but yeah, because now he's the King of England. But anyway, I've read his biography. Anyway, I think I have one chapter left, and he was saying, you know, they were dating, and obviously falling in love, and they weren't. Were they married? I'm not sure if they were married yet, but at some point, everything was going great. They were drinking wine, cooking dinner, and. I don't know what Harry said exactly. I mean, this is his autobiography. It's called Spare. He said he said something that was um, 
I can only paraphrase it by, I want to say, he talked out the side of his mouth to Megan, basically. He said she just left the room. She disappeared. He said it was maybe like a half an hour. He went and found her. And she said, why do you, how did, where did you hear that? Like, why do you think you can talk to me like that? Like, where did you, did you grow up hearing people talk? Like, did, did your father talk to your mother like that? Or and he was like, actually, yes. And she said, well, you can't talk to me like that. And if you don't get therapy, you know, bye. And he went and got freaking therapy. He, and he knew he needed it because he had never healed from his childhood trauma of losing his mother when he was a child and so publicly in the way they had always met. But her courage, I love woo, her mother. I love how her mother taught her wherever she learned that people can't talk to you like that. I don't care if it's the prince, a prince from where, who cares? And she was so calm and cool. He said she just disappeared. And when I, he said I went to found her, she was calm and said, where did you hear that? You know, why do you think? So those boundaries, so she's my queen of boundaries. My princess of boundaries. Um, like I love that. Don't you love that? And I... Well, and, and it... Oh, I'm so sorry, Adrian. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was finished. I was just going to say, I need to be more like that. What was my closing on that thought? But you brought mm. that up in, when you brought up when you brought up um, Queen Maya, when she says, when people show you the first time, so that was the first time Megan had seen that. And she was like, that's going to be the last time. I know she that's right. And so imagine, like, if we did that, if we did that tenaciously, if we had the courage to say no, right? And, like, that's not going down that way when things immediately showed up in our space. Imagine how much more peaceful our lives would be. Now, of course, grace is important because we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. But what I usually say is, is that I use a rule of three. If you make a mistake the first time and we talk about it and there's commitments for you to make a change and then we you do it again and the second time, you know, we talk about it because it takes time to change. And then the third time when it happens, then what it tells me is, is that there's a pattern here. And this pattern here is not a pattern that's good for me. And so not saying that we can never be in community with each other, but not like this. So if this is going to be present in this relationship, you and I can't be in relationship anymore. And now that sounds harsh to some people, right? It, but for me, it's the way that I can be rest assured that you and I are in aligned rhythm with each other. We're leaving room for each other to get to know each other, to rise to the level, level of love that we want from one another um, and care. And if we can't do that for each other, then we don't need to be in, in relationship with one another. Oh, I love that. This this conversation was for me, me, me. Um, mm. oh, it'll help someone else, but I love that. And um, what is, before we go, what is, um, it's, like you say, you have the rule of three. And even on the third time, you, you see a pattern and then you adjust. And like you say, it doesn't mean that that person isn't going to rise to the level of commitment that they stated. But you're giving yourself enough self-care and stick it to the boundaries that you can take yourself out of that situation to they improve. You don't have to be there with them through every stage. I think that's important to learn. It's not the same thing as expecting perfection, but it's all about protecting yourself, right? And allowing space for this person because it can be pressures, you know. And I love that um, 
or at least I should say what I'm striving to and all these things like with the with the, with the yoga with grace yoga work is is you know that time that we're on the mat is you can't do anything wrong because all you had to do was show up and breathe but taking mm. what you off the mat that's the challenge that I still face every day taking that yoga off the mat and when I don't do everything I know breathe recognize this isn't about me it's this person's experience you know detachment you know when you eat when I don't go through that and you, you know you have seconds to process that when you're you know when I'm reactive instead of um listening and processing yeah yeah it doesn't go it doesn't go well it's just like the times when I don't listen to your that inner voice it just doesn't go well so what are the things that you do daily to strengthen that muscle? Like, do you have a daily meditation practice? I have a daily gratitude journal practice. Yeah, I so. love that. And and gratitude is certainly something that is a part of the fabric of my practice. And, you know, I, I appreciate what you said, Adrian, about the fact that it's easy to just show up and to be when that is the state of the practice, right? Is, is just you showing up and you writing in your journal or you being in your mat or you meditating beforehand um, before you, you know, step out of bed. And what I can say is that it's really important to have self-compassion for ourselves on this journey called life, because life is going to life. And the best gift that we can give ourselves is daily practice, no matter what it is, having essential, having a wide variety of tools in your toolbox, that you can try on, that you can pull from when you need to, uh, and doing that on an everyday basis, something, even if it's just five minutes of you getting into gratitude before you get out of bed, before you pick up your phone, that can be a very powerful practice. Um, and so I have a lot of things that are my go-tos. Uh, uh, every day I begin with a Reiki or meditative practice. Uh, and that's even before I put my feet on the carpet. Uh, and then I have, you know, I do yoga a couple of days a week. I have a Pilates practice. I do strength training. I get in my sauna. I spend time outside. Um, I'm doing the prosperity plan right now. Uh, a lot of times I'm reading books. And so what I usually do is, uh, just make sure that I'm doing something every single day, because that's the equivalent of me. Uh, pouring into my cup so that I can be more resilient and do the things that I need to do day in and day out and have the creative energy and um, self-compassion that's needed, have all the energetic space that I need to be able to show up for myself and to show up for the world in the midst of my practices. But like I said, self-compassion is so critical because there's going to be times when we don't get enough sleep or we've just lost a loved one or we get that no and we face disappointment. There's going to be things that show up in our lives. And if we can be supported by our wellness practices, then we're much more likely to be able to bounce back in times of struggle um, so that we can get back to living life as fully as possible in the midst of those times of pauses that are really essential to our evolution. Um, and so that's the best way that I can answer that question for everyone, right? And to really humanize the fact that 
practice is the only way that we can be well. And so we can never do enough practice to just be done. The best thing we can do is just keep practicing every single day so that we can be well in any given moment. Now, I almost, you had me chick, um, chickling, giggling on the inside when you went through your list of uh, wellness practices. But I think that's so important because you say it needs to be daily, like that's 365 days. You've got a variety, you never get bored. But is it also because, is there any that you've tried that you've left out? Yeah, I mean, I so there are so many. Like right now, right now I'm being trained in breath work and um, oh, another pra- and uh, sound healing. And so those are practices, of course, that I've you know utilized over the years. Um, but my go-to ones are the ones that I just talked about. It's it's rake your meditation. It's having a consistent yoga practice. Um, movement, right? That could be in the form, and yoga is, of course, is a form of movement, but movement in the form of like Pilates, strength training, being outside, and not to mention, of course, just being outside in general has many benefits. Like right now where my desk is positioned, I can look outside. Just me being able to see outside as I'm having this conversation with you, as I'm working throughout the day, that has health benefits for me. Um, I also use things like, um, uh, stones, um, because of the healing properties that they have. I have a, I'm a Virgo. And so I have a collection that I got from karma bliss years ago. I don't think that they do these gemstone packages anymore, but I have, um, a stone. I have one that's related to attracting love, one that's related to keeping my heart and my and energy clean, one that's related to attracting prosperity, one that's related to creativity, and one that's related to blocking negative energy. So sometimes I'll incorporate those in my practice. I use frequency music as well. I use music in general, um, depending on you know what it is that I'm enduring. In fact, I, I'm always doing a playlist for something. I dance a lot. I'll just turn the music on and just like get my jam on while I'm cooking a meal or cleaning my house or whatever it might be, uh, and endless others, right? So I make it a point to find myself in spaces where I can learn about wellness, whether that be through educational formal classes or summits uh, or whatnot. So I'm always filling my cup. One of the speakers um, for the Global Abundance Summit talked about, um, what does she say? being being a hope hustler or like uh yeah being a hope dealer and she actually wrote a book on being a hope dealer and like how to or something around like hope inspiration or like you know just this concept of feeling like inspiring ourselves right where do we making sure that we are doing things every day to be a source of inspiration for the lives that we want right because whoever as our has our ear, uh, and and I would say practice, that's a part of having our ear, is who has our heart. Whatever it is that we're doing, what act, the actions that we're taking is what is actually most important to us right now. And so if we say that these things around wellness are important, but we're doing nothing to cultivate wellness in our lives, then we have to really ask ourselves, how important is, is it to us really? Right. And 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 that's OK, but it's important for us to face ourselves right in the midst. And if we can be real with who we are, with what we want and what, what we're really willing really to do to make that happen, 
that will provide the baseline for us to start to align our actions with exactly what we want. And one of the ways that we do that is by cultivating wellness on an, on a daily basis, every single day, every single day doing something. And I think if we can ask ourselves that one question, what have I done today to honor myself? What have I done to, today to have joy? What have I done today to boost my brain power? What have I done today to connect with other humans? Like all these big questions help you to know the extent to which you are investing in your own evolution. Oh, all I can do is sigh. Ask for your autograph. <laughs> so thank you. So very much. You don't know. I woke up this morning not sure if I would be able to keep this commitment with some of the shifts going on in my household. And then to you showing up, like you said, to changing everything, setting the tone. You are a magical, magical person. I hope mm -hmm. you know that. We're lucky that you're out there sprinkling and sharing your magic. Kalamazoo! <laughs> wow. Look at us. Western Michigan. Very lucky. Um, so I am going to make sure that you send me, please send me alwayshomeyoga at gmail.com. Damara, send me the link for your summit. You, um, and your book, um, and uh, I got the link to your your website, your entrepreneurial website. But anything else that we can share uh, with our listeners that you touched on today, please email that to me as soon as we hang up, so I can get this out. Um, this was absolutely amazing. Thank you for blessing my day. Oh my gosh, thank you, Queen, for doing the work that you do, for showing up with such vulnerability and truth. And uh, I just appreciate you. This conversation also made me my day as well. And you know, we started with this conversation is is also a healing one, right? So the shifts that came up for you, the shifts that also came up for me, um, are a tremendous gift. And uh, the only other thing that I didn't talk about is the Be Well Beautiful Woman podcast. And I'll make sure that you get a link to that. And I'm just oh, really grateful. Wait a second, because just like everybody else, I know we don't want to quite say goodbye yet. So please tell us about the podcast before we say goodbye. Yeah, of course. So um, the podcast is one of the ways that we provide free content to our community um, that features women that are doing their thing when it comes to wellness, right? Experiencing success in their lives in every shape and form and that are really reservoirs of inspiration um, for us to cure to curate the kind of lives that we want as well. Um, so I've had a diverse body of women on the podcast over the years. Um, we will oftentimes put our uh, summit episodes, uh, the audio version of our episodes on our podcast as well. And we're always looking for good people to be on our, on our podcast that um, are really centering wellness in everything that they do and are experiencing an abundance of, wealth as a result of it. And when I say wealth, of course, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about every single area of our lives. Okay. And that podcast is the same name as um, Be Well Beautiful Woman. Is it the same name or what's it called? Yeah. Yep. So it's called the Be Well Beautiful Woman podcast and it's available on all major streaming sites like um, Apple and Amazon and Spotify and outlets like that. Okay, well, I'm going to find you there and um, follow you. Follow me, Yoga Save Me Podcast. 
as well. And until the next time, because this ain't the last time. So until the next time, stay safe. Yes, Ashe, good people. I so hope you enjoyed this episode. We love that you were here with us. Check us out on Linktree, Always Home Yoga, Be 